This podcast is the design of City Sites Urban Media, and our goal is to bring into focus the difference between culture and God's ideas found in His Word. To learn more, go to citysitesurbanmedia.com. Folks, it's time to take the Word of God seriously. God means what He says. But I honestly believe that God looks down on a church that's fast asleep. He's looking down right now at a church that is unconcerned about his soon coming. The church no longer is intimate with Christ, no longer dependent wholly on God, dependent on the Holy Spirit, but running around with schemes and plans and dreams and networking and strategizing and committee meetings, trying in the flesh and sweat, trying to make it rather than depend on God, Almighty God. The church doesn't need anything else but God Almighty on his throne. And now, for the sake of unity, compromise, in comes the gospel of prosperity and the good life. I have to stay on my knees like I did this past week, get low with God and just walk and cry and scream. Oh God, break my heart. Don't let me get addicted to the easy life. The desire for things, that's why the Lord says, don't set your heart on the things of this world. But set your heart on me, Jesus said. I will be your life. This is the City Sites Podcast with Larry Kutzler. Well, hello. Thanks for joining us for the City Sites Podcast this week. And I'm Larry Kutzler, of course. And I've been doing the podcast and the blog here at this uh, website address for several years. I've been in ministry now coming up to my 50th year. I've spent a lot of time in the church in a variety of ways as a pastor, as a participant, a congregant. And now I'm, I'm in my later years of my life and I'm looking at what's next. And for now, this is what's next. Looking at the Bible, looking at how life and the Bible interact, how culture in general and society affects all of us, how the church is affecting us, how we as the church are affecting society and vice versa. So then comes along the COVID virus, the COVID-19 virus that's affecting so many people around the world. And so much fear, so much fear is being driven by this virus. And some people will say, well, you know, we need to take care of each other. We need to take care of ourselves. And all of that is true. But fear is the motivating factor why so many cities are closing down, states And why so many companies are being forced to shut down is because of fear. And fear is, of course, a great motivator when we're not knowing 100% of what we're facing. We don't know how this silent killer works 100%. We know that it is very contagious. And to certain portions of society, they're more susceptible than others. We know that. Yet all of this, we hear the messages coming out, be safe, help your neighbor, keep your distance, but be safe and let's look at ways we can help each other, stay quarantined, stay away from others, and and that's prudent. I think all of those things are wise. I think in a situation where we do not have the right vaccines, the right answers for this deadly disease, I think all of that is probably very wise in order to put ourselves into self-quarantine. As usual, I will take a little bit different approach to this because of the fact that I think anytime we have something we can understand and we don't completely 
know where this is going. Our dependence on God is even more important. And when you depend on God, you're asking him certain questions to keep the virus away from your loved ones, yourself, your community, your state, your, your country. But yet, in the midst of all of that, does God say anything back to us? Is he a silent partner of protection in all of this? Or does he have things to say to us as a person, as an individual, as a community of believers, as the church, or as citizens of a country? Does he say things to us? So I have always asked the question, okay, what does the prophet say? How does that apply to where we are today and what we are experiencing? So I was reading the other day, and I'm a big Old Testament or Hebrew scriptures reader. I love reading some of the stories. Most of my life, of course, like most believers, I've spent most of my time in the New Testament knowing what Jesus said and the, what the epistles and the apostles were writing. So I love that as well. But I love going through the Old Testament. It's probably the least of my understanding of the scriptures. So I spend more time there now trying to uncover things that I should know. And so one of my favorite books, of course, is Isaiah, 66 books of, I mean, this guy has a, a lot to say, doesn't he? And if you've ever studied it or read through the book of Isaiah, there's all kinds of content. But one of my favorite portions of that book is the first chapter. He lays out important understanding of where God is at in terms of how we relate to him. And it's very similar to what Jesus did in the book of Revelation, chapters 2 and 3, where he talks to the seven churches. And he lays out some of the things that he sees that need course correction. And that is very insightful also for today. But Isaiah is writing, God is writing through Isaiah, and obviously there's course correction that is taking place. And so often in our experience as adults, or even as children, course correction is very important. Yet as the older we get, the less we want to hear about course correction. That maybe I'm off track here. Maybe my decisions and the way I make decisions in my life probably may be based not so much on what God thinks or what God would want for our lives. We just simply make them because it seems to be the best for us at the moment. So I'm not sure how you're coping with COVID-19, but many are looking for hope and are scared. To some who say, well, God is in control. Allow him to have access to your life and you will find peace. I say amen to that. I think that's a great word for us today. Look to God, know he's in control, allow him access into your life and you will find peace. Great advice. However, to the rest of us, I have a different message. I think the message is really, really not mine at all. As I've said, it's really Isaiah's message to a nation of Israel in the first chapter of his book. I've been reading and rereading Isaiah 1, verses 1 through 17, because I'm not satisfied with what I'm hearing from the Christian community or our officials. I do not believe this virus is just a coincidence and that China is to blame. It may have its originality, its origin in China, but I think there is something more about this virus than it appears. 
I read the responses from the Christian community on Facebook, and most of them have little to no insight into what is happening. I think there is a parallel, however, to what's happening today with the COVID-19 virus and Isaiah's message in chapter 1. Here's why. Here's what God says to Israel. The animals, starting out in the very first couple of verses, the animals know their masters, but my people don't know me. (laughs) What, What a citation, right? The animals know who created them. That's kind of an obvious, but my people who should know me don't. That's a citation that I think is probably true with America as well. We say we're a Christian nation, we're known as a Christian nation around the world, but I don't think we really know the God of the Bible that would make us a Christian nation. Secondly, Isaiah goes on to say the people are laden with evil living and believe in evil ideas. Well, that sounds a little bit like our country, right? Many countries around the world as well. In America, over 60 million abortions have taken place. Homosexual lifestyle has been celebrated and accepted. Hatred of political parties and leaders is (laughs) constantly in the news. And the church no longer really preaches the gospel that we find in the New Testament. In many cases, it's watered down and it doesn't appear to have the same impact that the early church had in the world that they addressed in those chapters that we read about. So when you think about people are laden with evil living and believe in evil ideas, that has been the route that America has taken for most of my lifetime starting back in the day when they took prayer out of schools and then they got into the abortion issue of Roe versus Wade, into free love and uh, the detachment from marriage, and then, of course, into the uh, 21st century when we began to accept uh, lifestyles that are truly what the Bible says are an abomination. Well, Isaiah continues to unpack his thoughts to the people of Israel back in the first chapter of Isaiah 1. The people live in rebellion. What is rebellion? Well, the prophet Samuel said in 1 Samuel 15, 23, rebellion is the sin of witchcraft. Well, think about that, the sin of witchcraft. What does that imply? It implies that it's very evil. It comes out of the pit of hell, and demons, Satan, whatever, is always involved in witchcraft. The source of all rebellion, of course, is our own hearts. And the enemy uses that rebellion, that natural rebellion of sin against God, to his advantage and knows how to use it to get us more trapped into things that are not right. Isaiah goes on and talks about the whole being. Society is sick from what you think about your head to what you believe in your heart. We have abandoned the Lord in our public life, and he is no longer even a conversation piece and our plurality of American life. God has been restricted to churches and religious circles, but not really accepted in the whole of society. Isaiah says, your society has leaders who are associated with Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, we know what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah. As you go back to Genesis 19 and read about the evil and the neglect of that community to its citizens and its immorality that took place when angels visited Lot in that chapter. This is a grave charge, but many of our city mayors and city councils have the spirit of Sodom and Gomorrah. They just allow anything and everything because of the plurality of our day. 
everybody's ideas are the same, everybody's lifestyle, there is no difference, we need to accept everybody. To me, that just doesn't make a whole lot of sense, that we would just open the door and let anything and everything just permeate our society. And I think because we've done that, we have seen the problems in society and we'll continue to see the society because we're not founding on good, solid principles and values that we once did as a Judeo-Christian community. As Isaiah continues to write, he says, God is not happy with his people. Their worship and festivals are worthless to me because they do not live it. Now, isn't that interesting? Isaiah is saying that the religious people, it's not just the secular people, the people in society that are so bad, it's his own people, his people that are supposed to worship and have the festivals that remind them of who God is. He basically says it's worthless. He tires of them. Why? Because they don't live it. It's one thing to speak it, it's another thing to live it, to believe it in such a way that you live it out in your lives. Most worship is a repeat of last week in many of our churches, different tunes, but no sense of the awe of God is among us. Emotional tunes, emotional response. I think God is bored with our attempts to be worshipers because we don't keep him at the center of worship. We say we do, but in our worship times, we are giving him an emotional response. Now hear this well, we aren't giving him our hearts. It's one thing to come and give him your heart and desire a change in your life, and it's another thing to emotionally express yourself to God. God wants your heart. He responds to repentance, submission, and obedience. He goes on to say that even in that time of worship that people are supposed to focus on God, he says, I will ignore your prayers because they are not sincere. They do not come from a heart that belongs to me. We all are calling for prayer these days because of our crisis. God is calling, however, for a change. We cry for help. He cries for change. Revelation chapters 2 and 3, as I referenced earlier, he is calling for change in the first century to those churches that were addressed in those two chapters. Are we any better than those churches that were addressed by Jesus in that first century? What would he say to us? We want him to say, oh, well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's what we all want to hear from the Savior. But would he say that to us? It is time, I believe, we stop our silly Christian attitude about all is well and come to grips with the God of the Bible, who knows we need repentance as a nation and as a church. I can't tell you how many Christians who basically tell me that I should be more positive and talk about the things that are positive in the world and positive in the church and not to be so hard on the church and Christian leaders. And I say, well, I'm more than happy to do that. Again, it is difficult for me to look and read the scriptures, apply it to where my life is today, what I see in the church and what I see in society, and I'm sorry, but the message of the prophets is as true today as it was back then. Isaiah is reading God's people, the riot act here in the first chapter of Isaiah. And it's not to be mean, it's not to be negative, it's not to be a doomsday sayer, it's about truth. It's about acknowledging the fact that there are ways that we need to be corrected, that our biggest need in America and in the church and as a personal follower of Jesus Christ is change. I need a course correction of change. 
because my ways are not his ways. I need to incorporate more of his ways in my life. I need a change. Do I think because I know more scripture or I've been living a life of a Christian leader for so many years, I'm exempt from repentance? I'm exempt from God to tell me and change me? I am human as we all are. And so we all need course correction from time to time. That's what the Bible says. It's The Bible is good for reproof and correction and training in righteousness. Well, if that's true, how has that happened in our lives? Pastors are afraid to talk about correction and reproof and training in righteousness for the most part. Because people expect to come to church to be inspired. I want to walk out of this building or out of this experience with something that I can take with me that week that I can feel good about. And I say to you, that is not where we need to be at this point. We need to walk out of those buildings and out of those experiences with a contrite heart, a heart that says, God, forgive us and change us. And give us the kind of inspiration and the kind of emphasis that you want by the Holy Spirit to make us powerful in this day. First, to our own family. First, to our own relationship with you, O God. That we're faithful to you and that we're allowing you to change us and correct us and to lead us along the paths of righteousness. Isaiah continues to go on after he says, I'm going to ignore your prayer life. He says, remove the evil from your life and do righteousness in the land. Before we go and give advice on how to prepare for this national crisis, perhaps our first step is to come before God to make sure our hearts are cleansed and purposed for his work. We need to be encouraged to come to an altar and do business with God. And I would say that the leaders need to be the first to do it, to model it, because they will be held more accountable before a holy God. So what are your thoughts? What do you think? Where should we be as far as the salt and light of this world? Should we be like everybody else and saying peace and safety when there is no peace and safety? You know, be safe, be be careful. Yes, yes, we should be doing our part to quarantine and keep away from a virus that is very deadly and very silent. However, in the midst of it, we talk about the peace of God and what is God saying to us as a nation, as a person, as the church. That's the more important or the weightier measures of this issue today. I know that some of you may think it's not the right time for a message of accountability because we need a message of hope. We need that more than anything else, a message of hope. But Jeremiah says this, and I want you to pay particular attention to what he says in chapter 6, verses 13 through 15. And this is my response to those who say, we only need a message of hope. We don't need a message of accountability. Jeremiah says this, For from the least of them to the greatest, all are greedy for gain. From prophet to priest, all practice deceit. They have dressed the wound of my people with very little care, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace at all. Were they ashamed of the abomination they have committed? No, they were not at all ashamed. They did not even know how to blush. And perhaps that's why crises is like we are experiencing gets us to a point of saying, you know, it's time to blush again. It's time to say, God, forgive us for our evil and wicked ways that we have produced in our lives or in our country, in our communities. So it is time to do what society has asked us to do is to quarantine ourselves in a serious manner. But during that quarantine, 
we need to ask some serious questions. As I have posed to you today from the book of Isaiah, the very first chapter, we need to get things right as we move into 2020. And most of you know that viruses can come and go. This is a season that we will get through. But the next time, and the next time, and the next time, how will we prepare for it? Moving forward in the years to come, will we be more prepared than we were this time? Will our spiritual lives take on a different hue? Will we look different? Will we feel different? Will we make the kind of commitments that God is expecting us to make today that will make a difference in tomorrow? That's a question we all need to ask. Well, I want to say thank you for spending some time with me today and coming into my self-quarantine studio (laughs) in Northeast Minneapolis. Appreciate you reading the blogs. Appreciate you listening here every Friday. I really hope and pray that as you read the blogs and you listen to the interviews or the commentaries that you will share those with other people. They don't always have to agree with what is being said, but it is a challenge to start a conversation that draws us closer to God. That's the key, right? Whether I'm right or I am wrong makes no difference. If it is a conversation, a challenge for you to draw nearer to God to get your own answers, and to understand the dilemmas that we face as a country, as a city, as an individual, as a church. We need to draw close to our Lord. My message today is whatever happened to repentance preaching. Now you can walk throughout the city. You can take a tour and go Sunday to Sunday from church to church, cathedral, cathedral, to the poorest and the richest of churches. And you will rarely find a message now on repentance. You will not find it hardly anywhere in the United States. But contemporary church has decided it's an offensive message. And yet the only way to be healed, the only way to know rejoicing is through repentance. There's no other way to enter into the peace and rest of Christ and all of his promises until first the scripture says repent. Thank you for joining us today. Every Friday we bring you this podcast with interviews with people who are challenging the status quo of Christianity and challenging the cultural norms of our day. Please help us get the word out by sharing the link to this podcast with your online friends and family. Our website also contains other podcasters who are part of the City Sites network of communicators all sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Our website is citysitesurbanmedia.com.